Hello Internet, my name is Walter C80's Fedchuk, and welcome to the first episode of Final Cut in the year 2024. And, uh, you know, it was a good holiday season. I, I am sure uh, I will ask my co-host about their holidays here in a moment. Uh, but the other thing I want to bring up is, is that uh, we got a little bit of a theme going on uh, for our episodes this month. Um, there's two episodes in the month of January, and I thought that, you know, sometimes beginning of the year, you struggle a little bit to figure out what you want to talk about because you're kind of getting into the swing of things. So I came up with a theme about the movies for this month. Chase, if I told you the theme of the movies for this month has something to do with the letter J, what do you think that theme is? Chase Wassener, my lovely co-host. Interesting. Starts with the letter J. Um, jousting. We're going back to some medieval dramas uh, like we did like a year and a half ago. And we're going all in on uh, their their competitive spirit from back in the day. Right. Am I close? Uh, yes. C congratulations. You are correct. We yes. are, in fact, talking about 2001's A Knight's Tale with Heath Ledger. <laughs> well, I think if you're talking about <laughs> my holidays... My holidays included The Christmas Night, the 2019 Netflix film uh, that stars Vanessa Hudgens, uh, in which a knight comes back from time and has to complete his quest, which it turns out is finding true love. I love how Hallmark films have now just become <laughs> Netflix films. It's great. <laughs> yeah. It's fantastic. Yeah, Netflix is like, we should make a couple of those. They seem like they're very profitable and people seem to really like them. And then my parents are like, yes, I do love all of these. Give me more of them, please. And the algorithm continues. Absolutely fantastic. Well, since you brought up the holiday, I'll let the listeners wait with bated breath for the theme of our films this month. Uh, but Chase, how, how was your holidays besides watching uh, a, uh, a Netflix film that stars Vanessa Hudgens? Yeah, you know, it went pretty well. I had my, my few days in Colorado with the family, which was nice. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm one of those people. I like a little bit of snow. I like to be able to say I've seen snow and I've gotten to throw a whole one snowball and I'm good. I don't like having to deal with the ice and everything uh, because I am not coordinated. So, uh, you know, that was it was just the right amount of snow for me. Came back here, took it very uh, loosey goosey with the uh, New Year's holiday uh, it's one of those where I feel like my opinion on New Year's is dramatically different based on how optimistic I am about the next year going in. Um, and while we're not here to talk about all the reasons that I am not optimistic about the next year going in, I just said, you know what, a game night's fine, actually. I might just play some some games on my, my Steam account that you'll get to hear about uh, on the next week's episode, assuming that you listen to uh, Steam Cleaners as well, so... Uh, all in all, a relatively relaxing time. You know, Chase, uh, as we are recording, it is January 4th, and I think Rochester's had uh, about a half an inch of snow total. Although, we're supposed to get a nor'easter this weekend, and it's also supposed to snow next weekend, so... Hell yeah, I'm ready for snow. I'm a little bit disappointed we didn't have snow for Christmas because, mm. you know, one of the reasons why I, I live in the Northeast is I like snow. Mm. I like winter, as long as I get snow. And unfortunately, it just hasn't shown up yet. 
um you know my holidays were were fine you know did the thing where you go you see your partner's family you go see your family uh and then i had sort of a game night of my own for new year's eve except it wasn't a game night it was a game day uh i dragged my my lovely partner to go see the buffalo bills beat the new england patriots uh in 30 degree weather but then i made it up to them by uh getting a hotel in downtown buffalo and uh we went out for a very nice dinner and then uh, they do a ball drop uh, downtown in Buffalo. So we got to go to that. And both of us afterwards said, great. Now we never have to do that again. That's fantastic. <laughs> um, it was, it was something she had always wanted to do. And I, I really wanted to, you know, Hey, you're coming with me to a bills game on new year's Eve. Let me do something nice for you in response. And, you know, Chase, um, we don't like people, you don't like being around a lot of people. And there was, you know, for it just being Buffalo, there were a lot of people there. Um, so you know, that was my New Year's. That's that's fair. You know, um, I suppose I did get to appreciate at least some of what you described uh, when watching, uh, you know, there were some VTuber streams all throughout the day on New Year's. And I've, I've gotten down that rabbit hole of my uh, down the line. And it was very interesting to see how Japan uh, is doing their New Year's stuff. They're 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 all in and I am here for it. Um, and I'm sure that has nothing to do with the J word that you started with at the beginning of the call. Yeah. So both the movies we're talking about in January, uh, are, are Japanese films. Uh, we, we went to Japan, not literally, but quite figuratively, <laughs> uh, to, to watch a couple of movies that came out here at the end of December, uh, around, you know, the, the, the holidays, so to speak. And, uh, you know, if, if you're, if you're half intelligent, I'm sure you could figure out what they were. Uh, but Chase, for our first film of 2024, what's your experience with Godzilla? Man, I love Godzilla. I, I have always been a big fan of Godzilla-style films. I think the idea that there is a giant monster that is here to wreck our shit uh, because we have earned that uh, is just baseline correct. Um, I'm very here to support it. And I think that, uh, there are some films that have done it really well over the years. Uh, not as many in the United States. Um, you know, we have our American Godzilla films, a lot of which are in the monster verse. Right. And I didn't like the first Godzilla that, uh, Gareth Edwards did the 1998 one. I'm not even going to bother with, cause we all know that that one is, uh, messy. Uh, messy is the word I'm going to say. Um, but I loved King of Monsters because I felt like that was the one that really, you know, captured the more campy eras of Godzilla, where it's just like, look, it's him versus some other monsters, and they're all going to have to come together for some common cause against an even greater monster. Um, and, and capturing the soul of that is obviously, um, you know, I, I think has value. I will say that I think a lot of the Japanese films that I watched that are in the Godzilla universe... I'd be hard pressed to tell you which ones they are because I mostly watched them through mystery science theater 3000 because those guys had a kick out of some of the early and mid tier Godzilla films. But obviously like Godzilla's had a huge up and down over the course of, of his cinematic career as anyone that's going to have, you know, if you total the American films in there are 38 different films in the series um, and this was a, you know, they said at the beginning, this is a kind of 
re- reboot is maybe strong, but certainly at a re- an origin story, a return to um, the kind of classic Godzilla story, um, uh, resetting the canon and setting this kind of like alternate universe uh, situation that we're now going to be following. And uh, I got to tell you, I feel good about the choices that they made because I, I I will spoil my review at the end of this up front. Uh, I think this is the best Godzilla film I've ever seen, and I'm not sure it's close. So my experience with Godzilla is the 1998 Godzilla <laughs> film with Matthew Broderick in it. Of course where Godzilla is. lays a bunch of eggs inside Madison Square Garden. Uh, the 2014 Gareth Edwards film, uh, and uh, the the let them fight is from that 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 gif right is from the 2014 one if I remember correctly. Right, but it's the 2019 I believe is the let. Them oh, that's fight. the 2019 because I've that's the, the multiple monsters. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That I've seen the 2019 one as well, and I've listened to a lot of Blue Oyster Cults. And Blue Oyster Cults Godzilla is my second favorite song of theirs behind Don't Fear the Reaper. Because Don't Fear the Reaper is the only Blue Oyster Cult song that anyone knows. It's fine. I'm not mad about that. Um, No, Go Go Godzilla is worth mentioning. That song's great. It's a banger if anyone hasn't heard it. Godzilla is amazing. It's fucking great. And it, it, it tells the story of Godzilla. It's not a metaphor. It's not anything else. It's like, no, no, no. Godzilla, like break shit like it's literally just a godzilla movie in a three and a half minute song it's Mm -hmm. fantastic Mm -hmm. um so and then like beyond that is like oh i have some experience with like the american style monster movies your your king kongs your um pacific rim like rampage that kind of stuff um but i have never ever in my life seen a um uh Uh, a toho godzilla film and when chase and i were like in november being like okay what do we want to cover for december you know that are the movies that are coming out i was like yo we want to go see wonka and chase was like absolutely fucking not (laughs) 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 absolutely not (laughs) no way and he suggested godzilla minus one i was like fuck it you know what hey whatever like i remember the 26 the 2014 film wasn't that bad like cool let's go see it and I can definitively say, along with Chase, it is the best Godzilla film that I have ever seen. <laughs> so I guess since you've maybe seen a little bit more than me, um, what what do you think is the big difference between how you know American or Western directors try to portray Godzilla versus what we see from the, the to- Toho style? Well, I think the biggest thing is that the whole nuclear energy being the fuel for Godzilla is not just like a plot point. It's not just a a fact on his monster card when you're looking at people's powers and you're like, oh, yes, he uses nuclear energy. The Godzilla stems from fears from the end of World War II after, you know, uh, uh, Nagasaki and Hiroshima like that deeply affected the psyche of the Japanese population because no fucking shit. Of course it did. It was two nukes being dropped on cities that no longer existed. And so much, uh, you know, of national honor and pride and this, you know, Japanese empire that used these kamikaze soldiers to, to fight till the bitter end, even when things were very clearly lost. It's, it's a, a story Godzilla really about 
the aftermath of that and how our willingness to destroy everything is going to be mankind's own destruction, right? We brought Godzilla on ourselves because had we not tried to destroy the world with these nukes, Godzilla wouldn't exist in the first place. And that may seem like, oh, that's just like, you know, a, a plot point, right? That's an origin story kind of thing that you can throw away. And that's how the Western films tend to treat it. But the Japanese films, there's so much more of a cultural connection to those points, right? You know, this film is able to capture the human element of the Godzilla stories so much better because the human element is tied to that core idea of who Godzilla is, right? Our protagonist is a kamikaze fighter who chose not to go get himself killed because he knew that the war was lost, because he was not willing to die for nothing. Um, and because he froze up when Godzilla comes and attacks, kind of representing the same him freezing up when it comes to going to attack the United States, um, his, you know, this base that he'd stayed at ends up getting taken out entirely by Godzilla. And the weight of that, the um, guilt of that, so deeply messes with this guy and his brain and his ability to live a normal life. He is entirely disconnected to the people around him because in his mind, he's already dead. He should have been dead. And that death should have come in multiple different directions, right? Whether it was him as a kamikaze being shot down by the U.S., being killed by Godzilla, right? He is a man who does not believe he deserves to be here. And he believes that it is only in, in dying for something that he can make up for that sin. And that is so much deeper and more interesting than any human plot I've ever seen in a Western Godzilla film, right? Though in the Western films, there, humans are basically exposition to take us from Godzilla fight to Godzilla fight and tell us why Godzilla is fighting and how we're going to come up with the science to stop him because Godzilla is a creature that can be fought and has health points almost, right? It has weak points that can be targeted for massive damage, right? almost like a video game. And in the Japanese versions, when it's done really well, right? And, you know, I'm sure there are plenty of, you know, people can point out Toho films that weren't particularly good in certain eras and, you know, say that that's not how that lines up. But the best of them, right? The best of the Godzilla films are able to recognize that we care about Godzilla because Godzilla is a reflection of ourselves, of the choices that we've made and how we interact with it and how we struggle with it um, and whose side we end up on in some of these battles and whatnot comes down to our own understanding of the human condition and the conditions by which Godzilla was allowed to exist. So I thought this film did a fantastic job of capturing that human element so that I wasn't spending the entire film waiting for Godzilla to show up, you know? I was this there with this character, Koichi uh, Shikishima, um, and just so invested in his ability to conquer this PTSD that represents the PTSD of an entire generation of Japanese civilians that um, I don't think we think about enough necessarily, but certainly weighs on the mind of, of those who experienced it.
Yeah, it, it is incredible that this film is so much about Koichi and, and not about Godzilla, right? That Godzilla is this antagonist that exists as a looming presence, right? Mm-hmm. Like, it appears on TV, uh, on the screen, right? Godzilla absolutely appears on screen, but this is not a movie about Godzilla, right? It's not mm-hmm. a movie about Godzilla's origins or how do we defeat Godzilla or, like, any of those things. It's a movie about this uh, the, this Japanese uh, Air Force pilot, this kamikaze pilot that that ran away from the war, basically. That ran away when he was supposed to, you know, go and attack the United States and hide. And Godzilla is more of a metaphor for this, like, impending doom that he has inside of his own head. Because, well, what if I, my plane had been the one that turned the tide, right? And that is something that, uh, you know, very early on, I, I believe, uh, Sumiko, the there's a you know local woman, a neighbor essentially that like blames him for it. Like, well, you should have died. Like, maybe we would have won the war. And and there is, I do know historically, there is this very negative context at the time right after the war. Right, we're talking right in like the you know 1946 seven that era where if a kamikaze pilot came home, they were essentially blamed and bullied into into committing suicide. Because it was their fault they lost, mm-hmm. right? And it is very interesting to me about how Godzilla plays as a dream to him early on in the film after his first experience. That it is this, like, nightmare that is existing, uh, that, it, that is, you know, hiding in the background until they go out to sea and he experiences it again. And he has that... that uh, you know, deja vu of the first time he ran into Godzilla and he's the only one that's afraid. And then the rest of his boatmates see this and they're like, oh shit, like fuck dude. Mm-hmm. What, what the hell are you supposed to do against that? And I do think it is very, very interesting, this difference in portrayal. And it reminded me a lot of the difference between flags of our fathers and letters from Iwo Jima, right? Uh, American film telling and American mythology about war is not of it is not of of terror from it it is not from like shirking responsibility right we don't we don't look at you know Pearl Harbor Pearl Harbor the movie is not about like oh my god such a horrifying thing happened to the United States and it scarred us for life like no it's about how America is resourceful and resilient and they turn around and they win the battle and it is very much a white meat baby face superhero story yeah and to constantly see these like other interpretations I'm you know remembering um uh Oh my god, the German film, the Oscar film, World oh, War One film. Uh 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 oh god. It's uh man, I, I know exactly what you're talking about. <laughs> and it's it's making me mad at myself that it's not uh uh God uh, I'll get so, it, I'll it's get so it. close. It's on the tip of my tongue, and it's really making me sad that I'm not it is too. It is too. Uh, da, 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 all quiet on the Western Front. front. Damn it. <laughs> all quiet on the Western Front. All quiet on the Western Front. I knew it was that front. So it was something front. I couldn't get there. Yeah. 
But all these other countries and, and you know, I get, hey, it's Germany and it's Japan. Guess who gets fucked over by World War One and World War Two? It's Germany and Japan. But they don't have these like heroic views of the world wars. It is this debilitating uh, trauma that an entire generation of people face, uh, which I not to get political, but I do think there is a generation of Americans that are that are exhibiting something similar to that which you know our i think our generation the millennial generation has had a lot of trauma that has happened in our lifetime um, i mean not- i think you can make a very good argument that the entire american political apparatus is coming stems from the trauma of us losing quote unquote the vietnam war like a ge- entire generation of people who never got over that and have formed an entire foreign policy apparatus built around making sure that never happens again ever since. Um, and then it happened again. Yeah, well, of course, because we're bad. Like, Because war is bad. And I, I like J- Japan has always done a better job of capturing that. And the, the film we're talking about next week, I mean, there two weeks from now, I should say, also captures on that a little bit. Um, but it is this idea, like, we should be horrified by this stuff, right? We should see war as this monster that comes through and takes out the populace, you know, these people that are, you know, just doing their best, right? Living their lives and something like a nuclear war in particular, right? You are obliterating tens, if not hundreds of thousands of people um, just in a, in an instant, right? You know, plenty will die later and it, it becomes this whole like just extended death of a place and everyone who lived there and that sure feels like a monster attack, right? The, anyone who like grows up in Japan in that era and looks at the U.S. as monsters would be very accurate, you know? Um, and I think Godzilla speaks to that. There's something very primal in it. And you don't get to that if you are busy, focused on how like, man, these guns sure look cool. Aren't these fighter pl- uh, planes that we spent so much money on so dope? which is why the West never can do Godzilla quite the same way. We're not capable of it because it would require us to get beyond the myth-making and the pride that is often felt in, like, that is often pushed, I should say, in making wars happen and exerting your will onto other places. Japan knows quite exactly what happens when it's brought back to you. Um, And yeah, it's, it's super interesting to see that play out. And there's that similar inevitability, right? Like, I think the thing I appreciated most about this is the the visualization of Godzilla, right? It is the, when I think of old school Japanese Godzilla, the man in the suit, very kind of stiff robotic movements, they did the exact same thing in this film, right? This isn't the Indominus Rex, right? Chasing people through the streets. Mm-hmm. It's this just lumbering giant gush, gush, gush of this thing just moving forward. And then occasionally these bursts of violence where it's like, yeah, I'm going to knock down this building by swinging my tail. I'm going to, you know, load up my fucking breath weapon and like just fucking blow something up. Right. But like, there's a cooldown to it, but there's still this imposing presence that's just sitting there and is just constantly moving forward. And it it feels, it is reminiscence of war, especially when 
you are near the battlefield, right? Mm-hmm. That there is this impending doom that is, you know, somewhere over the hill and eventually you are going to see it and then you're, you have to run, right? And I know that, again, that's something that we as Americans don't experience because if you think about when has the United States been attacked on its home soil, it's been 9-11, it's been, uh, you know, the, the 93 bombing of the World Trade Center, and it's been like Pearl Harbor, right? Like these terrorist attacks that happen, but they're not like... We don't see it coming, essentially, right? We as a populace don't see it coming. We don't see the enemy marching over the crest of a hill and then charging down in our village. And I, I also think that's something that just America, the American films don't understand because American audiences want this like fast-paced action and it's about the hero overcoming the the enemy right and and you look at some of the the more modern american godzilla films right like godzilla is the hero right godzilla is the the superhero as i i you know just kind of glancing through some of the the wikipedia kind of information here is that you know godzilla is sort of the first um atomic powered superhero prior to you know even spider-man type thing um and it is it is just fascinating to sort of see this difference. And in my mind, I'm comparing minus one to the 2014 film, right? I'm not comparing it to 1998 because the 1998 yeah. Godzilla film was Jurassic Park. It wasn't Godzilla, right? Like, I'll be honest about that. That's a Jurassic Park film. That's not a Godzilla mm-hmm. film. And there is just something very, like, you said primal earlier, but just... It makes you think there there is philosophy to this right there is a philosophy to this film that is you know showing it's not like the military right japan doesn't have a military at this time which is convenient but it's not like the military trying to go stop godzilla it is let's get all the veterans and we get really lucky that the united states hasn't you know gotten rid of these couple of decommissioned battleships and the way we're gonna beat them is we're gonna try and drown godzilla and then if that doesn't work, we're going to jet him back up to the surface and hope that he dies of, like, the pressure change. Yeah. <laughs> Altitude sickness, basically. Yeah, there's a desperation to it, right? There's this, we have to do something, because if we do nothing, then Godzilla destroys us all. So how do we make the most out of the little that we have? This isn't a some big proclamation of... Um, you know, military might, which, you know, obviously based on the agreements that were signed after World War II, Japan couldn't really have, right? That, that was part of the agreement that they signed. And so there is not this like, you know, in, in any Western film, you're going to see the pride in the American arsenal that all the different weaponry and things that can be thrown out there. Here, the whole point is that Japan has been disarmed, that they don't have the tools to deal with this. And the people who do, you know, like they try to go to General MacArthur and uh, the U.S. won't help because there's tensions with the Soviets and the U.S. cares more about not pissing the Soviets off than they do about stopping Godzilla, which I mean, tr- yeah, that sounds about right, right? That's <laughs> everything I know from American history. That sure does track. Um, but it goes beyond that, right? Like, because you talked about the action earlier and how it in- embodies this like, old school not not quite the the puppets of of yore but certainly you know takes a a 
much less expensive route, I would say. You know, instead of like focused on a, on CGI carrying the day with these big explosive moments that so the Western films like Godzilla has to be the protagonist because we know that Godzilla can do cool shit and people are going to root for Godzilla to do the cool stuff. Whereas, you know, in this, you really like it, it's a uh, you pick and choose your moments. The scenes where Godzilla is not around are very reasonably paced and, and reasonably shot. And, you know, it's really just that one big heat ray attack that he can charge regularly and you see the charging sequence and, um, and everything else around it. So let's play a lovely game here, Walter. Um, what do you think was the budget of Godzilla minus one without looking? See, the problem is I don't know what like the budget for films are. Sure. So give me one second here. I'll I'll give you, I'll give you an example. So, Godzilla versus Kong, which came out came out two years ago, cost 155 to 200 million dollars, somewhere in that range. 155 to 200 million. If you look at Godzilla in 2014, you're looking at 160 million. I'm I'm gonna say I'm gonna say like, because because I because I un, I understand that this is not America, so it's not overinflated because the movie. It, the publishing house needs to make a bunch of money. I, I'm going to say it comes in just under a hundred million, like somewhere in the like 80 to like $95 million range. Walter, this film costs less than 15 million to make, which is insane for the record. When you look at the <laughs> amount of money and special effects and things that we spend in this country on our American films, our superhero films, do you remember when we saw Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny and that film had a $300 million budget? Yeah. Less yeah, than 50 yeah. million. And it's not like it looks bad, right? Like, sure, you can tell that, like, it's CGI at some points, but you can always tell that it's CGI. It's fucking Godzilla. Godzilla isn't, like, we all know this, right? There's this amazing thing that we have as viewers called suspension of disbelief. And the idea is that we're, if we're bought into the story, if we're invested in the characters, if we're invested in what happens and what is happening in front of us, we don't give a shit if we can see through the seams of certain special effects. It doesn't really matter. And that's, I think, the biggest difference between the American films of this genre and the Japanese ones, right, is that in this one, they spent exactly enough to pull off the really cool effects for the scenes that really mattered, right? And, and it works. And those films are effective. That heat ray fucking got me. Seeing the, the buildings collapse, really well executed because they know how to use a mix of practical effects and some sparing CGI to handle the rest. You don't need the excess. You just need to make the points matter. And this film does that. And it's one of the reasons I think people have resonated so much with it and why no one is talking about like quality of effects. Like it's like somehow behind those other films that we talked about. It does what it needs to do and it does it well. I am, I'm fucking stunned that they were <laughs> able to do that for less than 15 minutes. What? <laughs> I, I, I mean, like here, it's incredible. Let, let's take an entirely different. Cause you mentioned, how much money do you think House of Gucci cost to make, right? A film with oh no giant god. monsters. Oh that, my god. That was 75 That's... million. You wow. could make five Godzilla minus ones for the cost of House of Gucci. <laughs> and some of that is Japan, <laughs> sure. But still, right? 
incredible 15 million dollars 15 million dollars uh i mean i guess that's what happens when like you just tell a really fucking good story right (laughs) look at that look at that star wars just tell a good story and you don't have to spend a billion dollars on a film yeah it it because (laughs) because the points that matter still land really well and everything else matters because you did a good job with it because those small scenes of like like the the scene that sticks with me the most I well I shouldn't say the most because there are a lot of very good scenes in this film so it's 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 a multi-way tie but like one of the most affecting scenes in the film to me are when like he has his like boatmates over and they're at the the place and the you know definitely not girlfriend is making dinner and at one point the uh the the child that she had adopted calls him dad and Koichi's first instinct is to tell her not to call him dad and everyone loses it right like what a horrible thing to say to a child I was in the theater it was a packed theater I went to go see and like people were like gasping there was like a how dare you Koichi like this is a child that wants to call you dad because you're there and they deserve a dad and you're like no don't call me dad I'm not your dad. You know better. It's like, fuck you. And like that scene matters because we know what Koichi's been through. We know how he's struggling with PTSD and he's struggling to connect with the world around him. We know that, you know, this partner and the baby and this, I, you know, he's unable to let them in because he's unable to put words to the PTSD he's going through and it's keeping everyone at arm's length. And you have these people at his job who like, respect the hell out of what he's capable of, but can see this man that they care about throwing his life away. And that makes the scene later where he finally opens up about the PTSD that he's been struggling with and promising to do better and and whatever is so affecting, which makes the next scene where Noriko, uh, the partner gets taken out so much more affecting, right? All of these things build on each other. Because that's how good narratives work. And most of the scenes I just named had no special effects needed at all. They're just very human moments for very human characters that we want to see succeed. That's what filmmaking is when you're doing it right. And it's, I think it's the reason that Godzilla Minus One has resonated with so many more people. Yeah, it's just, it's, it speaks to part of the human condition on multiple different levels and makes us care and i care way more about that than i do about whatever extra cgi thing could have been come up with with another 15 million right whatever that shot is that some american studio would have insisted on is never going to be more valuable than those moments the... i'm still i'm still stunned right i'm still stunned <laughs> 15 million I'm I'm still at awe. And maybe it's because I'm at awe because the film is able to do so incredibly much with what is arguably so little, right? You know, fifteen million dollars. That's that's like one season of a of a like half decent basketball player, right? Like that's like one one season of like a rookie basketball player. <laughs> Um, and, and like I said, it's the story that they're telling that is, is something that a lot of people, not directly, right? Cause like not everyone has military PTSD, 
right? Not everyone has normal PTSD. But there is a story that is being told here about Koichi and, and who is played by uh, uh, Ryonosuke Kamiki, uh, I believe is how you pronounce that, that is so relatable, right? That sort of, that survivor's guilt that you can't help but feel for him. And even in that moment where it's he's rejecting the child, like, don't call me dad, right? Even in that moment, you are aghast, but you're not aghast because it is that it's not like he's not being cruel, right? It's not that he's like being evil. It's that he is so broken, right? So just mentally defeated and depressed that he cannot allow himself to feel any kind of happiness, right? At all. And there is something that is just so relatable and so that you can connect with that is like, how does he get back? Right? It's one of those moments where like you have, um, uh, I don't know why PS I love you came to my head, but like PS I love you where there's like a, a partner died. Right. And the living partner is, is dead. Right. They, they make the comment. I died when so-and-so died. Right. And yeah. then it's about, well, how do you come back to life? Right? How do you rejoin the land of the living instead of just being a ghost? And, you know, this is about a war, right? Godzilla is, is a war. It's a new enemy, and he has a chance to redeem himself in a way that is uniquely his. Right, they are they they come up with this plan again. I bring up they they're gonna drown him in the in the deepest channel in the Bay of Japan, and then if that doesn't work, they're gonna shoot him back up to the surface and hope that the the pressure change kills him. Right, mm. and if that doesn't work, they have one experimental fighter mm. <laughs> that they never used because they were they were saving them. And, and this is like true, like this is actually historical mm -hmm. that there was a fighter program that they never used because the intention was it was going to be to catch the Americans off guard when they attacked the homeland. Then we dropped two nukes on them and end of that story. But mm -hmm. that they have this weapon, this one thing the Americans didn't know about that they kept and uh, Koichi has to go find his uh find the commander from that base that godzilla initially attacked because that's the only fighter mechanic he knows <laughs> well it's more it's even more than that right because he he says right like kenji noda the naval weapons engineer like yes he is very talented at what he does but there is an an absolution that um koichi is looking for right it's not enough to just have someone do it that's that'd be easy, right? Just having someone fix a plane. There are multiple people who could do that job, but there's only one person who knows what Godzilla is capable of and has the personal connection the same way because he was there. He saw the attack happen. He understands it. And he understood in, in Koichi's mind, right? The idea that like Koichi needs to get revenge to be whole again. He is willing to die in order to get to where he believes he belongs. If it means saving other people, he's finally ready to make the choice that was originally offered him at the beginning, right? Of dying for the emperor and the grand cause and whatever else. 
And I'll be honest, when we got to the scene, I was a little bit worried about where the messaging of this film was going, because it would have been very easy to have him remain as this like kamikaze pilot. And the idea is that it was good, actually, that kamikaze pilots existed and that we're only able to save, uh, you know, the city if he's willing to take on that exact idea. But the film is very clear in this idea that the problem with World War II is that the leadership didn't value human life. They believed that these fighters who they put in these kamikaze planes were more valuable dead than they were alive. Which is a fascinating thing to work your head around, right? Again, something that's very innately Japan in terms of, of World War II. Um, and so it's so important then that Kenji is the one who does this and who, who tells Koichi, hey, by the way, here's this ejector seat. You don't have to die for this. Even with everything I feel about you, with all the anger and, and, and whatever that I, I have and, and the pert that I have gone through, that is not made better by you not being alive. Like what's made better is by you going out and living. That is what fixes this cycle not people throwing their lives away again. And so it's so critical that it is Kenji and so powerful that he does let that be the message here, right? Because I think anything else plays into this kind of imperial era of propaganda when the answer is we can have both. We can fight for things that we believe in and we don't have to throw ourselves away to do it and we're not more valuable dead than we are alive. So, so here's the thing, right? I, I do agree with you about the philosophy of it, right? And there's the, this great moment where, um, where, uh, Nado has, uh, Noda has this speech where he's talking about, you know, how poorly everyone was treated, right? Mm -hmm. That, you know, they would, they would rather, this is why, uh, and I quote, this is why this time I take pride in a citizen-led effort that sacrifices no lives at all this next battle is not one waged to the death but a battle to mm. live for the future that is such a fantastic line and when when uh when koichi gets in the plane right and he takes off i look at that moment right i look at him in the his eyes and go oh he's going to go kill himself he is going to go uh, he's committing suicide. He is going to rectify the mistakes that he made, so on and so forth, to make sure that the homeland and everybody else is safe. And then you get the flashback while he's in air and everything's about to happen to uh, Tachibana telling him about the lever, right? And I thought him being told about the lever was, oh, like... Tachibana wants to save him, right? Tachibana has forgiven him, so on and so forth. And, and they put in an ejector seat, so, you know, everything. But I didn't realize that Tachibana actually was going to tell him it was an ejector seat, right? I thought he was going to say, yeah, you got to pull that lever to arm the bomb. And then, and he would, because he knows Koichi is going to just try and kill himself, not tell him. Koichi goes to do it. He ejects. And that's Tachibana forgiving him, right? And instead, we just have the blatant, Tachibana telling him it's an ejector seat like you don't have to die for this and there is a part of me that for the the cinema 
right? The 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 writer, right? Let that not happen, right? Don't tell him it's an ejector seat. But to fit the actual philosophy of the movie and what all of this is about, which is Koichi redeeming himself, but not by not by sacrificing himself. It makes so much more sense that he is told, like, yeah, that's yeah. the ejector seat because you still are giving Koichi the choice. Yes, right, and he has to choose, right? That's the the key. And first, thank you for correct. It's Tachibana is who I meant. Kenjo, Kenji Naoda is the guy who makes the plan. Uh, I I misspoke earlier, but yeah, Tachibana, um, the like Koichi seeks him out, right, because he believes that he needs forgiveness from Tachibana in order to keep going. And so, what's so important, right, is the idea. That no, you have to forgive yourself. You have to choose to live. You have to choose to keep going despite everything that's happened, despite the losses that you have suffered because you believe life is worth living, because you believe you owe it to the people who matter to you, to the baby that is depending on you, um, to the, you know, uh, the partner that you didn't end up uh, securing a relationship with and you know, at this time he thinks is dead. Um, and, and just like you owe it to her to live a life because she saved you for a reason, right? He has to make that choice. If it's taken away from him, then you lose the agency in him deciding after all this time in which he's like, I would rather be dead. I am numbing myself from all of the emotions around me. I am preventing myself from making the connections that matter to me because I don't deserve to be here. It has to be his choice. It can't be Tachibana's choice. Um, and I do think, I mean, for what it's worth, I, I think the film does a good job in like not revealing that part of the conversation until after the the bomb gets dropped in Godzilla's mouth, right? Like we only see that the ejector seat was talked about after we have that moment where we think that Koichi is dead. Um, so I, I do think it's trying to capture some of what you were saying. I, I just think... You know, if you're even remotely genre savvy, right, you probably saw that like, oh, well, if he's pulling him aside for a just one more thing, that would be the thing that thematically makes sense here. But I still think it works. I still think it landed. And there was still a part of me, even until the bitter end where we saw it, where I thought like, oh, shit, he might he might do it right. He, this this might end up being. Uh, a more classic self-sacrifice. And I'm really glad it wasn't because I think this was more powerful. Oh, I absolutely thought we were getting uh, the the Russell case, hey, Godzilla, up yours moment, right? Where mm -hmm. he was just gonna, you know, fly, fly right into his mouth and explode and some sort of deus ex machina, he would somehow survive and, you know, end up in a hospital and they're like three months later and you know, whatever his friends are around him and like you save the day type thing. And, and you're right. I was, I was pleasantly surprised to be, to have my expectations subverted in that manner where he was given the choice. Like, Hey, I, I know you're going up there to kill yourself. Like, I, I, I know that's what you're going up there to do because you think you need to regain your honor. You need to, you know, you have a second chance to make the quote unquote correct choice. You, you know, think you have lost, uh, Noriko, you don't feel like you're this, this child is really your child. You know, you're not a father, so on and so forth, but it's your choice. Like you, you don't have to do that. You can still save everyone or try to save everyone without, without dying. 
And that is, I think that's very beautiful. I think that is very, very beautiful because how are you supposed to save anyone if you can't save yourself, right? How are you supposed to accept forgiveness from anyone else if you can't forgive yourself, right? Um, it's one of those things where like anyone, you know, someone can say, yeah, I forgive you. But if, if you can't, they're just words, right? Right. It, it's, it's, it's very beautiful. It's very poetic. It's very beautiful. And it is definitely not something I think that any American director, uh, that would be given, Hey, you can write a Godzilla film. I don't think any American director is going to go like, Hey, you know what I want to do? I want to talk about the philosophy of self-forgiveness in a Godzilla film. We tried that with Man of Steel, and nobody liked that movie. <laughs> well, Man of Steel well, was I boring. I, <laughs> I'm sorry. I, I, I'm not going to get in, in that. Uh, you know, I'm glad you enjoyed it, I suppose. Um, I just, yeah, this is... This was so much more captivating to me on the, the human moment to moment. And you need it because, you know... Godzilla is at his best when it's not dominating the entirety of the screen time, right? Where the moments where he is there, they're so much more impactful when they are sparing because each moment you're like, oh shit, it's Godzilla time again. Um, and it's a fine balance. You know, I, I, I struggled with the 2014 Godzilla film because I th thought it took too long before we really got our monster in there. Um, but this is just a really nice balance. Um, and I, yeah, I, I mean, I, I, I just feel like thematically from an acting performance, from a, like a cinematography standpoint, from how they handle the monster, just all of this was everything that I wanted it to be. Um, and it's, it's just so funny that like, you know, again, it's, it's just a giant middle finger to the American film system. And let's be clear. Uh, Japan has its own issues with the film industry. There's some union stuff that maybe uh, Japanese workers are not given the same treatment and benefits than American workers are. So I want to be careful about overly praising. But the idea that like someone says, hey, was this film made on a $15 million budget? And he's like, I wish. Um, and has made clear that it was lower than that. Like how the, how the fuck, man? How do you, how do you make this? Uh, that this clean and this well produced and this well done. Um, and it's because you, you get all of those other elements and you figure out how to make the most of them. Um, so yeah, I fucking love this one. And you know, I don't even care that at the end we get the kind of saccharine, like, Hey, Noriko's somehow alive, but what's this, this black bruise on her neck. Wonder what's that's about. Um, you know, like very clear sequel baiting, but, like, yeah, great. I would love to see more of this Godzilla. So give me a sequel, please. And thank you. Yeah. Who, who fucking cares? Like, hey, listen, if you're going to keep cranking out fucking bangers like this, like by all <laughs> means, make 30 of these things. We all know that the fucking Marvel Cinematic Universe has been fucking trash lately. Like, I need a Godzilla Cinematic Universe that is actually like really well written, really well acted, and maybe not so much about Godzilla and more about like people. Because it's incredible how Marvel has totally forgotten what made them better than DC, which is its stories about people becoming extraordinary right. and not just like extraordinary people.
right? It's weird. Yeah. You need to like connect to a character to have any type of, you know, emotional understanding or investment into them. It's wild. You can't mm-hmm. just have these like one-liners that are like, mm-hmm. my father was Prince T'Challa. Like, oh, cool. Yeah, that makes me feel something. Thanks. Yeah, it's just, it, and it's like, you know, even just simple things like the nightmare sequence, right? Where like you experience his PTSD firsthand and you see him wake up in the middle of the night and like the, the partner's like trying to help him and he pushes her away and is like, I'm not real. I'm dead. I can't be here. Like this can't be real. Like that's, I am waiting for an American action film like this to be willing to take such a swing, right? Uh, to be willing to let their characters be that vulnerable and weak, right? Like there's this idea that it's all got to be a power fantasy. And I would say there is power in overcoming incredible adversity. We're not rooting for Koichi Sakishima uh, because he's the best pilot that ever lived. We're rooting for him because he's just a guy, a guy who's doing his best and he fucked up to a certain extent, but whether you even should see that as fucking up says so much about like, how do you feel about the Japanese Imperial army in the, in the world war two and duty versus honor and how these things come back to hurt you and haunt you and how you learn to live with that. Like it's just these, these are all things that are so much more interesting than like, look how strong I am. Look how many people that I can take down. Look at how big our bad guy is that we're going to take down. Right? Like imagine if the Eternals took the time to make any of their plot points. Remember when they have like a side scene in which the, the one black character bemoans like giving Americans the tech for a nuclear bomb and it's on screen for like 20 seconds and it in no way affects him or his demeanor beyond that after that scene. Like that's the difference. That's the difference because American films are terrified that we wouldn't like that guy when what it would do is make him a human, a character well-rounded interesting dynamic because he believes in something and has lost something anyway i'll get off my my little box over here i just i it's it's great to see a film recognize that like writing matters and characters matter these are the things that i've always like loved about films and storytelling in general and this is this is a damn good story and a damn good film. I'm I'm not even going to try to uh to follow that up with anything because I I I think you summed it up uh pretty well. So Chase, do we start 2024 with a 10 out of 10? Of course we do. Of course, 10 out of 10. This film's amazing. Look, if like I I I don't think it's in theaters anymore unfortunately by the time that you're watching this, but like you don't see 98% tomato meter, 90% audience score on a foreign film in the United States basically ever, right? Uh, this film had already turned a profit just in Japan alone, and then we made more money stateside in a very limited release than it did in Japan. Like, this, there's a reason everyone lost their mind about this, and because there's nothing like it. Oh, and oh, by the way, um, 
within a week of whenever this episode's coming out on, on Friday the 12th, they're releasing a black and white version in Japan. And that seems like it'll be fascinating. I want to see that. I want to see how it captures that original 1950 aesthetic. Um, I, I, I just, I, I hope it gets, it's gotten uh, nominated for uh, a few different awards at various Japanese film festivals. It won't get any nods in the U S because we don't believe that action films can be meaningful on that level, but it, it goddamn should 10 out of 10 wonderful film. You know, it's definitely not 1998's Godzilla with Matthew Broderick. <laughs> I'll give it that. That's true. You there know, are a lot fewer a movie, fish. A movie I have historically said is one of the greatest movies of all time. But I will also, I, and no, I'm being completely facetious with that. Uh, I think that film killed Matthew Broderick's career. Like, I don't remember him in anything else other than that. Like, he was in Inspector Gadget. But like, I, was he ever in another film? I don't know. I'm going to go look up Matthew Broderick after this this movie and figure out what else he did after that terrible movie. Uh, but I agree with you. This, this was a 10 out of 10. Um, it was not what I expected. Um, I am conditioned as an American to expect 2014's Godzilla or 2019's Godzilla King of the Monsters or a King Kong film or any of the terrible fucking Jurassic World sequels. Like, that's what I'm conditioned towards. And instead, I was shell-shocked with emotion, um, much uh, in a similar way as I was with All Quiet on the Western Front. Um, it is different than what I anticipated, and I, for one, am really, really glad I saw it. Because much like when we watched Jawan, it has now introduced me to an entire other realm of movies I have never, ever watched in my life. My partner is very excited because they have very fond memories of watching the, the Toho films with their parents. Uh, they have a, a three-foot-tall uh, Godzilla statue in our basement that they were like, maybe I need to pull this out and display this somewhere now. And... You know, Chase, you mentioned something else early, uh, early on in the podcast that I actually was also exposed to over the holiday, uh, holiday season. I have never watched Mystery Science Theater 3000. Ooh. And, and I did for the first time on Christmas Eve. Uh, and I am angry at anyone who had never told me about that before. Because that was the greatest thing I've ever fucking watched. <laughs> so and funny. I have a deep rabbit hole to go down with that as well. So. Yes, absolutely. Oh, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Look, if you're looking for a laugh, Mystery Science Theater 3000, some really great episodes on, on Godzilla-esque movies. Um, but yeah, if you're looking for just a damn good Godzilla film, Godzilla Minus One, go uh, enjoy and uh, come back to us and tell us all about how much you loved it. Or if you have a different favorite Godzilla film, uh, you know, maybe 1998's Godzilla with Matthew Broderick in it. Chase, where can the good folks at home find you on the internet to talk to you about it? Uh, you can find me at chasewassenar.bsky.social. You can also follow uh, the podcast, roughdraftspodcast.bsky.social. Is it Rough Drafts Pod or Rough Drafts Podcast? I always forget. I'm not good at the B-Skies yet. Um, Rough Drafts Podcast. There you go. Um it's uh yeah absolutely um we're gonna be doing more stuff over there i just don't need to be spending as much time on the 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 twitters anymore um it's not good for any of our psyches um but so so definitely follow us over there and 
Hell, if you need an invite, uh, you can find me at Chase Wasser on Twitter. I will give you an invite code for Blue Sky if you want to make your escape. But, you know, just don't forget uh, that every week we're not doing this. We're doing Steam Cleaners. That's the podcast where we talk about video games, different ones than we've played uh, over the course of the year. Our New Year's episode was really fun because Walter and I went back and played games that uh, the other one had played earlier in the year. Got to kind of revisit some some bangers of a game and we've got two completely different sets of games next week. So be sure to come back uh, and listen to that as well. Absolutely. I am uh chase uh, gave me some screenshots of the game that he played. Um, I am very worried about his mental state and uh, we're going to have a therapy session on the, <laughs> on the next episode of steam cleaners. Um, surprise chase. We're about to record that in like five minutes and uh, yep. Therapy. You, you need some help. Uh, <laughs> with that being said, if you have a favorite episode of Mr. Science theater 3000, or you have a favorite Godzilla film, you think that I should uh, watch from the past. You guys can find me at C underscore LOL on Twitter because I like to melt my brain and you can find me on bsky at c80s.bsky.social. And like I said, January is Japan month. The next film, uh, we will come back in two weeks on January 22nd, tentatively. You never know. Life gets in the way. But January 22nd, we will be talking about the boy and the heron. I'm do- I think I'm done teasing anything with special things. I'm just going to tell you what we're talking about <laughs> next week. The Boy and the Heron. Chase watched it in uh, the original Japanese with subs. I had to watch it in English because by the time I went, they had already taken the Japanese one out of the theaters. So who knows? Maybe, maybe the American voice actors were better than the Japanese ones, but we'll talk about it in two weeks. <laughs> Until next time, goodbye, Internet.